0: Hello, and welcome to Stories Told by Friends.
1: This story is about having my dad as a parent, and it's called, It's Amazing, I Turned Out Okay.
0: My friend Leslie dropped by to share stories of her atypical childhood, and in her introduction, she references our mutual friend Bruce And if you want to find out a little bit more about an inside joke between the two of them, listen to the outtake at the end of this episode. And for more from Bruce, listen to Besotted with Bruce, another story on this podcast series. Let's head to Leslie's story. All right, we're ready to go. So Leslie, it's wonderful to have you take part in the collection of stories. And I'm looking forward to hearing yours today. How are you?
1: I'm well. Thanks for having me. Well, I anticipated you were going to ask me to introduce myself. And and I recalled that I met you in 1982. I, I think it's remarkable that we've been friends for so, so long. And it is through Bruce Hamilton and University Days that we came together.
0: Right. Great. Do you have other things that you want to say uh, to introduce yourself?
1: Mm, well, the only other thing I thought I would say is that I, I just situate myself in your life during the time that we grew up as parents and uh, and how we fretted over everything and how we we nurtured our precious babies so that they would become healthy and self-actualized and balanced and interesting and athletic and and it was so much work to do that dave you'll remember that how tirelessly we worked to raise these kids so that they would have the best possible chance at a magnificent life. You remember that? Like how much effort it was.
0: I I remember us doing a lot of things. I think you made a lot of very um, well-considered efforts. And I remember just flying around trying to do things. So luckily (laughs) some of uh, your well-considered efforts became things that we did. uh, And some of the things where I was just flying around, just doing whatever, uh, which were not as well-considered or, Maybe as effective in helping my kids to <laughs> become well-adjusted, as they tell their therapists now. Uh, but uh, yes, I do remember it being a lot of effort and yeah. uh, and really happy times. I remember some self-congratulatory times patting ourselves on, on the back. <laughs> oh Wow, yes. was that ever great? Oh, that so weird thing yes. we made them do. Yes. That would be excellent. Yes.
1: And now that we have managed to raise these fantastic young adults. We congratulate ourselves almost each time we get together. That's right. Yeah. yeah. That, Why that, wouldn't we? Yeah,
0: exactly. A mutual admiration uh, parent society, yeah, exactly. Yeah, for yeah. sure.
1: So it's interesting you would say this piece about, you know, just flying around, bringing your own stuff to the dynamic of what we were trying to do uh, while we were raising our precious orchids. Because that's what I, I remember is just being worried that I might make one mistake that would then forever stain the way my kid uh, would turn out. Uh, And so my story is based on the uncomfortable premise that um, all of the attention and protection and cultivation that we did was just completely unnecessary. (laughs) I'm (laughs) looking forward
0: to that. (laughs) So So
1: this story is about um, having my dad as a parent. uh, And it's called, uh, It's Amazing, I Turned Out Okay.
0: (laughs) I, I won't question the, the title, but uh, we're still not sure you did turn out okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly, it's so subjective. I struggled with that actually. It is yeah. so subjective, uh, and so um, my story begins, of course, when I was I was born in the early '60s, and my parents divorced by the time I was six, and so at that time, you know, it was quite rare. There there weren't. Uh, very many kids that I knew, in fact, maybe only one other kid I knew in my elementary uh, education who had divorced parents um, It was stigmat stigmatized as we as we know, but I never questioned it because I grew up knowing that my parents were polar opposites of each other i didn 't ever fantasize that they would live together in the same house because i could I could appreciate even as a kid what sort of chaos that would have brought into my into my life so you know, to my mom's credit, um, she did take up the role of being um, the responsible one. She nurtured and sheltered and empowered me and, and did all of the boring things that parents who need to make sure their kids grow up safe and strong do. Uh, and so she did this sort of conventional mothering uh, piece in a very unconventional situation because my dad brought forward the other parts that I became accustomed to thinking were what dads did. Uh, And so maybe to the way you're describing yourself and flying around, my dad did his own style of flying around. And I didn't know how unusual that was until I compared notes as I got older and as I kind of moved through the world in my own way. And certainly as I became a parent, then I realized. um, But what... What makes me feel happy about that realization is I could see then as an adult how that added to my life, Uh, even though from time to time, the way I was fathered was embarrassing or difficult. Um, It really added to my life. And so I thought, you know, there's a bunch of things that happened and just random memories I have about growing up with my dad that I thought might be entertaining to share. So um, these are vignettes from my life uh, with Big Z um why What i one of the first things i remember about my dad is that he wore a cookie monster t-shirt and really cool jeans all the time and he was a doctor <laughs> and so many other parents or kids whose uh, parents were doctors um saw their um doctor parent in a suit and a tie or in a business jacket etc and so my doctor dad wore a cookie monster t-shirt um psychedelic scarves um, he was movie star handsome, uh, and he would swear like a sailor. Sentences of swear words if something went wrong. Uh, and didn't see for a second uh, any reason to edit that for my, you know, kindergarten years. Yeah. Um, my dad lived in an apartment um, with a leopard-skinned chaise lounge, Uh, With no toys for little kids to play with, but it was attached to a pool with water slides and unlimited access to Pac-Man, driving games, etc. And no bedtimes. I will segue for a moment to say that I later lived in that apartment and Dave, you were there. right? Yeah. Uh, and so I was able to come full circle and sadly the chaise lounge was uh, long gone, but access to the, uh, the water slides uh, remained a big attraction.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> and no bedtimes.
1: No bedtimes. No, no. And, uh, and, and my mother would say also no mealtimes, <laughs> no other semblances of structure. But I think, looking back, that allowed me to kind of remain really spontaneous. Uh, maybe I was always in a little bit of jeopardy, but I felt that that's how it felt to be alive uh, with one's with one's dad. So I never got a wrapped up birthday present or Christmas present with a bow. But I always could count on a fistful of cash pulled out of a pocket you know on, the, on those days uh i could count on the fact that you know my mom would make the birthday party and so on my dad would breeze in like a hurricane he would come late he would eat most of the cake he would pile his plate high he would thrust the cash at me and then he would leave um, but he was present you know and yeah. so this wind was him coming in and out and and uh to my mom's credit um she allowed that to happen. You know, she didn't carry any grievances, uh, at least ones that I could discern when I was a kid. Uh, and so he was welcome to come and go. Uh, and that was really the only way that he could be. So my dad was willing to share his life experiences with me and my, and my brother. And to some extent, my younger sister, although she was quite a bit younger. Uh, as long as we were willing to do what he wanted to do. So we had to kind of get in line uh, to do that. So my dad liked to ski. Uh, one of the, uh, the stories I, I want to share is this time that my, I was about 11 and my dad, my brother was nine, I would say, uh, when we first started going to the mountains a couple of times a year. Uh, and every trip began in the same way where my dad would turn up uh, and during this particular trip, he was driving this old beat up duster that he had borrowed with no ski rack. So we would put the skis in the inside of the car. We would pile everything in. My dad's stuff would never be in a suitcase. We would drive which what felt like three or four hours to Kindersley to get some KFC in a bucket. And then we would get all the way to Banff uh, uh, after that. Um, my mom gave me a secret stash of money uh, in case my dad didn't buy us food, uh, which, you know, wasn't. A, she didn't say it as a complaint. She just gave it as a safety precaution that we had. I had money to buy my brother and I uh, some food on the hill. Uh, this was the year that we went to Lake Louise, and as my mother, brother and I were getting up onto the chairlift, uh, um, we went up about one or two poles at the chairlift, and then my brother fell off. Oh, my God. He fell, well, he fell and then he grabbed on uh, with iron fingers to the edge of the chair. So he was swinging there. He was hanging there for a really long time, long enough that my dad, wherever he was to begin with, turned up at the bottom of the, uh, on the run. And he could see my nine-year-old brother hanging there. Um, and ultimately convinced my brother to jump which he did and which his landing would have been perfect but for my dad's efforts of trying to catch him so when he caught him he caught pushed the skis up into my brother's neck and likely almost killed him uh, oh. but that anyway that uh, that's a segue which had nothing really to do with my dad's uh, odd decisions about only my brother's uh, misadventure we uh, so we that during that same trip Um, we went to the Banff Hot Springs uh, one night and my dad happened to run into a guy, totally, uh, and we didn't know this guy was there, that he had played rugby with back in the day. So anyway, I didn't think anything really of it. My dad and his friend and my brother were in the men's change room and I was in the women's change room. And you know how the Banff Hot Springs were that you could, you could, in the change room, go into the water and then you would be in the water and then you'd go through those corral, those kind of swinging doors, saloon doors. Um, So... My I came in through the saloon doors and I could see my brother coming through and then my dad and his friend kind of came through and the place was crowded and steamy and it was just this kind of magical night after an exciting day on the slopes and all of a sudden my dad or his friend, I don't know which one, started hooting and hollering and jumping up and down and doing the backstroke because they decided it was a good time to streak. So they were bare naked in the hot tub. Back, oh back Uh My brother was horrified. Some people were screaming. Other people were laughing, and I just kind of went underwater. I just went underwater and endured in- the thing and went back in. So that's that's kind of an example of a thing that it. I don't know. I don't think any, very many other kids have had that experience unless, of course, their their dad played rugby, which I learned, which I learned <laughs> later. So that's a story that stood out in my mind. Another ski trip story was that we would, we drove in the same way with the duster, with the skis inside, all the way to Banff. We, this time we were allowed to bring friends, so there was a couple of other kids in the car. Uh, and I think we were being, I don't know, noisy or annoying or whatever. Uh, so we stopped for gas at Canmore, I remember, and my dad got out of the car. And I, maybe he swore a little bit, I can't really remember, but he just said, you know, you kids are driving me crazy. Like, I need to meditate. So then he he left us at the Canmore petrol can and he went up this hill and he just meditated for I don't know thirty minutes whatever it <laughs> took uh, so we were inches really it felt like inches uh, to, to our destination and that's kind of what happened so I remember that kind of stuff those kinds of kind of sort of selfish eccentricities that yeah. I just absorbed. Um, Uh, As a teenager, uh, my dad wanted to teach me how to drive, and he always drove Corvettes. These Corvettes were, you know, five-speed, powerful cars that he really didn't know how to drive very well. I mean, he was a menace on the roads. He couldn't control it. He never met a clutch that he couldn't break, uh, but he took it upon himself to teach me how to drive those cars. Uh, And so I did. Um, His only lesson to me was that I should be aggressive. Just be aggressive. (laughs) (laughs) An odd thing for, a, again, a parent of a 15-year-old child to say when the rest of us, and I certainly was the case, I was biting my nails and stressing out about, about things like that. So um, in 1978, my dad bought a new Corvette, and it was uh, the Indy 500 pace car. Right. That was this beautiful right. machine, deckled and silver, and silver red and black, uh, that Sherwood Chev had on display in the showroom at, uh, on 8th Street. And so one day my dad said, listen, I, I bought this car. I bought a new car. and I don't have time to go pick it up. Would you mind just, would you go to pick up this car for me? It sure would, chef. And I had no idea what he was talking about, but I did that. My friend at the time had a license, so she drove me, and I went there, and I saw this machine over which the salespeople were fawning uh, and, and gazing. Um, so I, at the ripe old age of, well, I am 16 at this time, took possession of this car and drove it out of the showroom i think i stalled it once or twice like these I, I could tell that the adults around me were just dumbfounded that this could possibly be happening but he just said go pick it up he didn't have any regard really for it and thought it might be kind of a hoot for me to do that
0: <laughs> you drove it right out of the showroom. i drove
1: it right out of the showroom like they moved that they pulled the glass aside yeah, yeah. and i just drove it right out oh. of it
0: like,
1: crazy, it's a crazy thing to do. So I got to drive it. I had this life where, you know, I could drive these fancy cars. um, But they were sort of thrown out with such lack of ceremony, you know, uh, that it just seemed like it was a normal thing that that might happen. Um, uh, My friend Gail, my best friend in high school, Gail, and I would go then in in subsequent years skiing with my dad from time to time. And and uh, once when we were 17, so still in high school, my dad suggested that we should go to the uh, rugby tournament in Moose Jaw. He thought that would be fun for us, that we should go there. <laughs> uh, and so he went with his buds, and we drove to Moose Jaw and got a hotel room and hung out at this rugby tournament. And I really didn't know what to expect. I knew my dad played. I watched him play sometimes. And I did have that experience in the hot tub, but I didn't really, I wasn't, I was unprepared for what I was about to see. Um, and... My dad was just oblivious, oblivious to the kind of peril that we would be in with amidst a drunken, debauched horde of, of, you know, well meaning uh, and exuberant men uh, who are known internationally as being, you know, crazy partiers. So he thought it would be good if we just mixed around with those, with those people. Now, nothing bad happened, luckily, like it, nothing really bad happened except the image that has burned into the back of my eyes. I can see it plain as day right now. Uh, it was the image of a conga line of naked men snaking their way through the banquet tables, holding on to each other's penises. That is the penis of the guy in front of you so that you walk in this kind of stilted way. And I would say there's maybe 50 of them, Snaking their way through the tables, doing what I then learned was the elephant walk. This yeah,
0: so, so nothing bad happened. Nothing at all. bad
1: happened. <laughs> well, if nothing bad happened, I saw this thing. <laughs> but that's what happened. So, um, so the last little vignette uh, that I will share, and speaking of naked, uh, was that one year my dad went to New York and he went to an off-Broadway production. Um, that was staged entirely in the nude and it was about, it sort of poked fun at sexual inhibition. It was about sort of prudish language and, and, um, uh, and my dad thought that it would be interesting or I would be interested in it as a, you know, I, I was a senior high school student at the time, and, and I, I really did because I guess, partly because he was my dad. I had a pretty open mind at that time, and he thought it would be provocative and interesting to share this with me. So he brought back the soundtrack and with a color uh, program uh, that, I, that he thought I might be interested in. And I was. Uh, and so was my friend Gail. Uh, and so it was coming up to senior projects to present at Christian Ethics. Us. Uh, and so Gail and I thought it would be interesting, you know, because yeah. sometimes at Christian ethics, we were learning about, you know, in our Catholic education, we were learning about sexuality in the constrained way that the church uh, felt it was appropriate to teach us. So we thought, wouldn't it be interesting uh, to present this other point of view? So we pre- did our whole year-end presentation based on this. We played some songs. We talked about it. We, we, uh, we I think, engaged you know, our classmates in kind of animated uh, conversation. And to her enormous credit, elderly sister April, just let it unfold. So I don't remember getting into trouble. I don't remember anything happening after that. Um, But I only realized later, years later, frankly, how provocative that really was. Uh, And so I don't know if any of these stories or these recollections have any kind of a moral at all, uh, except... That uh, what I now know is that, or what I learned, I guess, is that parents are people and people are unique and we fly around or we expose our kids to this or that and kids are resilient and no matter what we do, our best or worst laid plans mean that we are kind of weaving ourselves into the tapestry of the lives of people that we influence and we turn out better for it in my view. So that, that's what I wanted to share with you.
0: Wow. Those are vivid images of you with your dad. But, it, you know, as you're listening to them, you put yourself in each of those roles, like mentally, or I was yeah, when I was yeah. listening. So what's your dad
1: thinking? There's so many. I mean, I, this is just a, a handful of... A lifetime of experiences that in these offhanded comments, in what seemed to be these ill-considered moments, I probably learned more than in, in other environments when I was supposed to learn more. You know, so when my, when my, my, uh, my boyfriend, uh, with whom I was very deeply in love and I split up and I was curled up in the fetal position as a, as a 22-year-old, um, my dad came over and said, like, what are, you, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, there's another bus in 11 minutes. Yeah. And I'll just never, like, I thought, well, so insensitive, but it's just so right. He's just like, oh, you're a fantastic young woman. This is not a problem. Just move on. <laughs> you know, stuff like that, yeah. you know, where I think if, if you're sort of raised in a tradition where it's okay to just be who you are and not really worry too much about what other people are thinking or, or have confidence in yourself that it's going to be all right, then it will be.
0: And what would you say, looking back, is the combination that you are of your parents' uh, different styles?
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, that's such an astute question, Dave. You know, I think that the combination is. So my mother was attentive, you know, and made sure uh, as best she could as a single parent that uh, all of my needs were cared for. You know, I was safe and uh, there was no danger. <laughs> and, uh, so I think that it was about making sure that uh, I wanted to make sure that my kids felt that, that I wasn't going to sort of just go off and do something really irresponsible or reckless. I, so I needed that anchor in my life. And that's what she provided. So my dad wasn't an anchor. He was pepper. You know, he was, uh, he was spice flavor. Uh, so I think I felt very strongly that I needed to be that anchor. But also, always, and I think this is where you and I have this in common, always, I also want to be the pepper. Like, I also want to bring all of that and dance around and fly around and do unconventional things and, and expose not only my kids, but everybody that I know to fun and to excitement and to spontaneity. So I think it's that. You know, these tensions are inside me. Maybe they're inside everyone. Um, but I had permission to express the wilder side, maybe more than some.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I've definitely seen you as the hybrid of those two. I mean, <laughs> incredibly caring and, and attentive and there for your kids, but also just always making life very rich and, and pushing the boundaries. The, you know, I won't tell other stories about you, but the winter solstice the kind of, <laughs> blood wine and what when they were about 10 or whatever like sort of uh you know almost occult but you know like always that that pushing of the edges not 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 just accepting that that things need to be the way they are but always making sure it was safe yeah for your kids and for ours all the way through yeah which is one of the reasons that we've always had so much fun
1: yeah exactly yeah exactly
0: well it's been amazing Tremendous! I I hadn't heard any of those really? actually. Yeah, I, oh, I, I don't goodness. ever remember hearing you tell those <laughs> stories about your dad. But I recognize that car because that car was famous in town.
1: So famous, yeah. so famous. And in a way, like it was a blessing and a curse. That car, right? Because yeah. I was just a twerpy kid going to a West Side Catholic high school where most of my classmates. I mean, this was not a, a wealthy neighborhood. Most of my classmates' parents worked in, you know, uh, in you know moderate income jobs you know there were some guys in my cl- in my school who worked three part time positions in order to buy that beautiful chev malibu yeah. and and yeah. and they were so proud of it and they and rightly so they were proud of it and i am here this privileged kid who had an opportunity to just pick up probably the hottest car in Saskatoon and drive it to school? Yeah, and so I didn't know Without what to do. Without even really
0: it. knowing how to drive it or, right. or work right. uh, five-speed.
1: Right. Well, I would say that I became a better driver than my dad in about ten minutes. Like it wasn't hard. <laughs> it wasn't hard. I got a lot of tickets, uh, but I could drive it well. So what I resolved to do as a result is just be really humble about that. So that car came to EDF and high, and then I let all of my friends drive it all the time, really? so that they didn't feel like I, I didn't I didn't put it on. At pedestal any more than my dad didn't put it on a pedestal so that was the way to do it is just to share share the share the benefits and so I just sort of did that it was an experience. Yeah.
0: Well, fabulous. Yeah. This has been. This has also been a great experience. So, thanks.
1: Thank thanks you for having me.
0: And now we'll uh, we'll just wait for the fan mail to stream in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that this is going to really strike an, a chord with so many parents. You know, as they think about their own upbringing and how it affected how they raised their own kids. So, I hope so. Yeah. I hope thanks.
1: so. Okay. Thanks. Yeah.
0: I hope you found Leslie's story to be interesting and potentially astonishing, as I did, and please get in touch at storiestoldbyfriends at gmail.com if you have any comments or feedback on what you've heard. And as promised at the outset, here is the outtake about Bruce, Leslie, and Friends.
1: I was thinking that maybe Bruce and I could work in tandem, and he could tell the story of his complaint that I stole all of his friends when he moved away to Vancouver and began living in this parallel universe his life.